Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Advent prophet Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the first two verses which read, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says the Lord. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Years ago, indeed before the turn of the last century, in the Old West, where revival meetings were quite popular, there was a preacher who was very well known for his fire and his brimstone delivery of God's word, and he would rant and he would rave about the sinner's sin, as indeed he should do. He would rant and rave about the sinner's impending doom, and the people then, having heard him preach, would leave their revival tent meetings terribly frightened, understandably, shaking in their boots. Native Americans from a nearby reservation were invited to hear him preach too, and so they went to one of his tent meetings. Again, his strong voice, the stern look upon his face, made him indeed a terrifying picture to behold for them, and after the meeting, the tribe's chief was asked what he thought. To which he responded and said, High wind, big thunder, no rain. <laughs> he had a point to make. He had heard the law of God preached most effectively, a law which indeed had caused him to tremble. His heart may well have been prepared for the gentle rain of the gospel to fall, but sad to say that gospel never came. And this indeed is the preacher's timeless task and challenge in every generation to preach that law of God until we feel so uncomfortable with ourselves and with our sins and with our petty little works of self-righteousness that we feel so uncomfortable with who we are, what we have done, what we haven't done, where we would of ourselves and in and of ourselves alone stand in the presence of God, that we would indeed be most uncomfortable. But then at just the right time, after that law has been rightly preached, then at just the right time to comfort the uncomfortable sinner with the gospel of Jesus Christ that assures him that in Christ all of his sins are indeed forgiven him and in Christ's righteousness we can indeed stand unafraid in the presence of God. The timeless task of preaching you see, the sequence and the timing are so vitally important. The gospel of forgiveness, which is crucial to our eternal salvation, cannot be preached until, first of all, the law of God has done its work, its tutorial work, as St. Paul calls it, of bringing the sinner to Jesus Christ, that there he might hear of the righteousness that he has, not in himself, but in Christ and in Christ alone. The gospel indeed must be preached, but after the law has been preached, but then once it has been, the gospel must indeed, indeed be preached, or the sinner himself despairs and is lost. Consider the prophet Isaiah in our Advent text today, and you see the same process happening for so long. It had been necessary for Isaiah to be a preacher of God's judgment. It was necessary for him because the people to whom he was preaching were so obstinate in their sins. They were so complacent about them. They refused repeatedly to repent of them. 
They had gone their own way like sheep, as Isaiah would later say. They'd grown comfortable in their prosperity, and as far as they were concerned, God had absolutely no reason to be uncomfortable with them. Sounds like a current generation, perhaps it sounds like every generation, doesn't it? That we become so comfortable with ourselves that we are convinced that God has no reason to be uncomfortable with us. After all, the people back then had done their religious thing every week. They did what they thought would be necessary, and yet their righteousness, their acts of righteousness, as Isaiah says, is was filthy rags unto the Lord. Isaiah had told them that they had served the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were far away from him. They were going through the external motions, but there was no repentance of heart. There was no eager awaiting for the Savior to come. In fact, in the chapter before our text for today, God had commanded Isaiah to go up to the king of the people, to King Hezekiah, to announce God's judgment upon Israel. All that is in your house, he said to the king, and all that your father stored up until this very day shall be carried away into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Those are words of impending judgment because of the sins of the people. And so it was, just as Isaiah said it would be. And Israel was taken captive into Babylon. Sadly, after long Decades of captivity, the people of Israel heard no word from God. There was only slavery and silence and sorrow. How Isaiah, who loved the people dearly, must have yearned to be able to comfort the people, but he couldn't comfort them too soon and too quickly. How he must have ached inside to to see them month after month and year after year gradually growing more desperate and more depressed. But it had to be, it took that long for Israel's pride in itself to be broken. It took that long for the people to take their sins seriously and to see how devastating sin really is when it isn't taken seriously. And then when they were at the brink of despair, And they had no hope in themselves or in their own acts of righteousness, but could only hope for the undeserved and unmerited grace of God, and that alone to save them. Then God says to his prophet, Now, now the time has come. Now the time has come for you to say, Comfort, comfort ye my people. Speak kindly to Jerusalem, God says to Isaiah. Call out her to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has indeed received double for all of her sins. You see, God had not forsaken his people, though it perhaps seemed to the people for so long that he was distant, far distant from them. But all through that long course of their captivity, he was doing what he had to do. He was preparing them to receive and to be grateful for the greatest news that would ever come to mankind, the news that would come to them in the person and in the work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Timing was so essential and so important until they had first tasted the bitterness of their own sins and their own futile attempts at righteousness, they would have no hunger for the comfort that God alone could give 
and that Christ alone would bring. As long as they treated sin lightly and thought that it was nothing to be concerned with and that God could be comfortable with them in their sin, their hearts felt no need for the remission of sins and for the forgiveness of sins that would indeed be there for them for the righteousness of the coming Messiah that would make them holy in God's presence. And isn't that the problem in our day too? So many view sin so lightly. View it all too lightly. For example, a man registering at a hotel in San Francisco had something interesting to say. That He, he said that as he was signing his name to the register, as I caught sight of a small pamphlet that was off to his right-hand side, and he took the pamphlet, and the title of the pamphlet read, Where to Sin in San Francisco. And inside of the pamphlet, there was a whole list of 20 or more different places that you could go to. Doesn't surprise us that dozens of establishments might be listed. You see, the advertising agent responsible knew the nature of man well. He understood man's sinful nature. He understood that most people in our society consider sin as being more or less synonymous with having fun. And isn't that the way that all too many view it in our day? As simply letting go of a few outdated, moralistic rules so that you can be free to enjoy yourself. Being freed from the shackles of guilt that have been placed upon you by some patriarchal religion. To guiltlessly then be able to do whatever that you might choose to do. To do what comes to you so naturally. Those who view sin so lightly, those who think of it simply as a breaking of a few rules for the fun of it, don't see that sin is the most serious of conditions. Sin is a condition that's within us, that our outward acts are merely evidences of, manifesting outwardly what is there within, that sin is a condition that would separate us from God eternally, a condition that scars our lives and the lives of others here and now, obviously feeling no need at all to be comforted because of sin or forgiven because of it. And sad to say, they won't be ready for it until, like Israel of Isaiah's day, sin has all but devastated their lives. And then on the brink of disaster, of personal disaster that comes in one form or the other, when they finally see what their sins have done to their lives and to the lives of others when they're desperate and they come to realize that they can't lift themselves up from it but it must indeed be someone else who lifts them out of the mire into which they've gotten themselves and they're as low as you can possibly go without going under forever then they're ready at that point when they despair of all else of being comforted with God's word and with God's forgiveness that is in Christ Otherwise, they won't see it for what it is. But tell me, why do people wait so long? Why do they wait until it's nearly too late? Doesn't that say something, too, about the condition and the nature of man? Must there be an ugly trail of broken homes and broken hearts and broken people before a man is ready to be comforted and to be forgiven by the Son of God? It's not God's desire that things be that way. And that's why he gives us the word of his law. 
so that we sinners can forego so much of the pain and the suffering, even if we would see it for what it is. It's meant indeed to protect the people of God, but it's all even as it's meant to, to lead sinners to the gospel of Christ. Our sins would surely bring us to destruction were it not for the fact that God intercedes and comes to us in our time of need. If only man would not stubbornly and persistently reject God's word of warning, but hear that word of warning and let it do its work of humbling us, then we wouldn't indeed have to be so devastatingly humbled by the tragic consequences of sin as it plays itself out in our lives. God's law can prepare, you see, a man's heart so that it's ready to receive God's word of comfort. And what a word of comfort it is. After the devastation of sin has so often done its work within a man's life, how comforting a word it is. Finally, listen again to what God comforted the people of Israel with through the words of the prophet Isaiah. Tell her, he says, that her warfare now has ended. Tell her that her warfare with God has ended because now there's a reconciliation with God that has taken place. As St. Paul says, though we were once enemies, God has reconciled us and he's indeed, he's made us his friends through Christ. Tell her that her iniquity has been removed from her. Tell her that she has received from the Lord's hand, from the Lord's hand, double for all of her sins. And that same word of comfort applies to every sinner today, to you and to me, to every sinner that's out there, no matter how great our sins might be. Because the eternal Son of God became man, as we celebrate in this coming Christmas season, because that eternal Son of God became man, and because of what that God-man, Jesus Christ, did upon the cross of Calvary, our iniquity, as Isaiah says, has been removed far from us. Because of him, we have received, Isaiah says, double for all of our sins, double forgiveness, double payment. The sacrifice that Christ made for you upon the cross of Calvary, the sacrifice that has brought us so much was of such great value that it could pay for all of the sins of every man, of every woman, of every child who has ever lived on planet Earth and who will ever live twice over. The blood of Christ is of such value that it could pay for every sin committed by all twice over. No one then ever need think for a moment that his sin is so great that it must be excluded from God's pardon or that he must do something extra to add to what Christ has already done. No sinner ever need fear that he is so sinful that he can't possibly be included in God's word of comfort. For God has said that we again, or he has received from the Lord's hand a double for all of our sins. And as if that weren't enough, to give God's people not only comfort but joy in this time when we receive that, there's still even more because God's comfort doesn't end with the pardon of our sins, which indeed is the most important part of it. But he delivers that to us day in and day out through his word that we hear week in and week out through the sacrament that we receive, God pardoning his people, removing our sins from us, and then strengthening us 
through that word and sacrament that we receive that we might be able to go out and to encounter and engage the world in which we live and to overcome those things that would otherwise attempt to bring us down. The ordinary problems of life that we feel, those things that we're wasted by. Sometimes, don't you feel that you're up to here with the certain problems that even God's people encounter in life? And that you're wasted and you're wearied and you're worn by such things as family problems or work-related problems or physical problems or financial problems or the varied problems and pressures of life and you're wondering, where's God's comfort now? When you find yourself feeling that way, Remember what the word comfort means. It doesn't mean that God will instantly remove things from you in life that bring you difficulty and make you indeed uncomfortable for a time. It does mean that he will give you the strength to overcome that which makes you uncomfortable. You see, the word comfort comes from the Latin term confortere. And in that word confortere is the word forte, like in fort, like strength. To strengthen you considerably is what the word really means. God will comfort you. He will strengthen you considerably so that you'll be able to engage and then in his name and in his strength overcome the problems and the challenges of life that are there. As James Christensen once wrote, the purpose of Christianity is not to avoid difficulty, but it's to produce a character in Christ's people adequate to meet that difficulty when it comes. It does not mean that life is easy. Rather, it means and it makes us in Christ's strength great enough for life. That's the comfort for daily living that God promises each and every one of us today, a strength that's sufficient for this day. As thy days are, so shall thy strength be. God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. That's why each day God's people would find themselves in need of a new measure of God's strength in our lives. If we didn't need that new strength from God day after day and for each day we'd become perhaps too comfortable. And those who are too comfortable soon find that they don't feel a need at all for God's comfort and they become more and more dependent and less dependent upon it. It was a late autumn evening during World War II and the entire city of London was lying there in inky darkness because of the threats, of course, from Germany at the time. An enforced blackout was there. And after the evening meal was over, a London father invited his eight-year-old son to take a walk with him outside to get a breath of fresh air. And together they walked down the darkened streets of London in silence until suddenly the lad remarked as if he had made some amazingly new and unexpected discovery. He said, Dad, I never even saw those stars over the city out there until the lights went out. And how true it is, not only of those dark nights over London in World War II, but also of the dark nights that often settle over our individual homes and our individual nights and our individual lives. In the broad daylight of prosperity, when everything is going our way, when health and wealth and happiness are all around us, who needs comforting? But when the lights grow faint, and when health and wealth aren't what they were, 
when sadness and sickness and disappointment set in, then who can get along without God's comfort? Certainly not God's people. Then, once again, they long to hear, Comfort, comfort ye my people, says thy God. And that comfort is ours because of him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.